This is the Unnamed Financial Podcast, a crash course in financial literacy. If you feel left out of the markets, join me, Matt Gregory, and stock market expert Peter Raschuti from Tulane University as we navigate the basics of Wall Street. On this week's episode, what is a 401k and why is yours not doing as much as it could be? All right, and joining us again is our stock market expert, Peter Raschuti from Tulane University. Peter, big week for Mardi Gras. How's it look down there? Oh, boy, it was a pretty dull Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras had been canceled, and it was 22 degrees when I woke up on Fat Tuesday, which is the coldest Mardi Gras day in history. So usually Ash Wednesday is a time to really get your act together and uh, um, give up alcohol for 40 days, but just didn't have that push this year. (laughs) Did you see more students that were paying attention on Wednesday than you've ever seen? Yeah, that's right. We usually cancel that day. (laughs) So, um, you know, what we wanted to talk about today was the thing that everyone seems to not really understand. No matter what job I work at and no matter what company I work for, at some point, uh, one of my colleagues will ask me, like, well, you know, what what is a 401k? What's what is that? I mean, it's something that we that's our retirement that's the foundation of it is the 401k for most of us. Uh, it's given to us. We don't really sign off on anything. It just kind of is taken out of the paycheck. And yet five to 10 years into a job, a lot of my coworkers, even myself were like, wait, what does my retirement look like? So how did we get to 401ks? Well, we, we started out with traditional pension plans. Like your, your parents probably had a pension plan, that kind of system. And your grandparents definitely had a pension plan. Uh, in the private sector, that dominated. That was uh, there were no 401ks until 1978. So, in a pension plan, or sometimes we call a defined benefit plan, you have a situation where you're going to um, put a certain amount of money in, and then the issuer, which in this case could have been U.S. Steel or any company like that, is going to take care and promise you a set of benefits. So they're going to say, and it's going to be based on how long you've been there. If you've been there 10 years, maybe you're going to get $2,000 a month. In 15 years, maybe $5,000 a month, something like that. Now, the interesting thing about pension plans is it is providing income for life. And the returns are, what in terms of what you're going to get, that's guaranteed to you. The onus is on the issuer. In other words, the onus is on U.S. Steel in this case. They have got to do well enough with your money, they've got to put enough in each year and they've got to do well enough with the investments to make that promised uh, check every month. And that is uh, very different than a 401k. A 401k is a situation where all of a sudden the performance or how much you're gonna end up with it at the end is a function of how you invested that money. So that if um, a traditional company, let's say a very generous company, if you put in $1,000 a month they're going to match it with up to $1,000 a month, which is a pretty great deal. In fact, you know, people always ask me, if you had a little bit of money, what would you do with it? What would be the first couple of things you do? And I would sign up for the 401k plan at work because you're going to get literally free money. And if you don't take advantage of it, you're kind of just walking away from a very good perk. And so you're going to put money in, let's say $1,000 a month, and then the company matches it with maybe up to $1,000 a month. And the key here is then that money is invested the way you want it invested. So when you first were hired at the firm, you were brought to a human resources office and, and you were signing a bunch of papers and all you wanted to do is get started. And you didn't, and, and one of the things you signed was you had to decide how, where you wanted your money invested. And so they probably gave you about 
10 mutual funds to select from. And they did that and you made these selections. And so all of the, the onus on the performance is really on you. How well did the money do based on the mutual funds you selected? And uh, the difference is, of course, with a 401k, there's no guarantee at the end. You could end up with a big bundle of money or you could end up with a very small bundle of, uh, bundle of money. And that's a big thing. One, one little clue for people, and this is very general, but it helps a bit, is that stocks in general over long periods of time outperform all other asset classes. Now they're really volatile in between time. And you know, it's sometimes you just have to close your eyes. But, uh, the, and because of that, if you have a long time until retirement, you wanna have more money in stocks, bigger percentage of your money in stocks. A good rule of thumb is that the percentage you ought to have in stocks in your retirement plan in your 401k is about 100 minus your age. So if you, uh, you know, young guy like yourself, I don't know exactly what your age is, but let's say you're 25, uh, you would put 75% of that portfolio in stocks and the others maybe in bonds or, or something else. So it's, you've got that great return, but as you get older and older, you can't be at a situation where when you need the money, all of a sudden there's a, it's a bear market and that isn't worth as much as you had hoped it would be worth. So as you get closer to retirement, you always put a smaller and smaller percentage in, um, uh, in the stock side. A question for you, when they're talking about, so one of the things was as, um, and I don't know how many people experience this, but for me, I work for news stations and they keep getting bought by other companies, larger companies. And every time a new company comes in, our 401k jumps from Fidelity to Vanguard to somewhere else. But they keep saying, well, we're matching 5%. When they're talking about matching 5%, what are they talking about when, they, when well, you hear that? That means in this case that if you were to um, put in $1,000 a month, uh, they would be putting in $50 a month to match, match that. So the most it can be is the same amount you're putting in and there's restrictions to how much you can actually put in. It's actually a little over 19,000 a year. Um, but if you get a one-on-one -on -one match, it would, in that case, it would be $1,000, but a 5% a match would be about $50 a month. So some companies are more generous than others. Uh, companies do it for a reason is, and that is, um, first of all, they want you to retire in good shape and all that, all that stuff. But the, the other reason is that the more you have in a pension fund and the better that pension fund is, the stickier you'll be on that job. And that's kind of a funny term. I, I once it's, will you probably more likely to stay in that company if you've got a pension plan and they're, they're, they're funding it. I, I once had a, a consultant, a HR consultant tell me that um, he says, you know, pension plans help you help a company put a little glue in the seat. And I thought that was the funniest <laughs> expression. And, uh, but it's true. And so, the, other, the other reason companies want to do this is uh, they think it'll create more loyalty because um, you, know, you're just, you, you have something there and you can see how it's going to build up. If you, the pension plan, when it's terminated, then you have 60 days to roll it over. So you have to take that money that you got and put it in a traditional IRA account. And then basically the same kind of decision again, pick which mutual funds you want and it'll be over to the side. When you go to the new company, they'll have a brand new pension plan for you, brand new, brand new 401k for you. And uh, that is, uh, that's how these, um, these, these things go. Now, 
uh, I know a lot of people in, in your area would be working for the federal government. They would have a, they would be the old school. They would be the actual pension plan where you stay a certain number of years and you're guaranteed a, uh, a certain check all the way out to the rest of your life. Uh, the, one of the things that scares me is in some of these public pension plans, now not the federal government, but state and local or the firefighters or uh, teachers retirement system, uh, that's a plan where the state or the, in that case, really the legislature is saying, I'm gonna take care of you for life in here. Uh, I'm gonna choose the investments and I'm gonna put a certain amount in every year so that we can keep that plan uh, solvent. Well, one of the problems there is most pension plans uh, have a huge UAL, which is called an unfunded accrued liability, which means if they stop the wheels right now, they would not have enough money to pay off the beneficiaries. And so that is, in fact, if you wanted to ask me the biggest potential time bomb, financial time bomb out there, it's not all the things that people talk about. It, it's really public pension plans, and there's trillions and trillions of dollars in it. Is the reason this happens, by the way, is that you get get a real mix. That pension plan goes on forever. It's it's an infinite investment. It's going to stay on for hopefully a thousand years. It's going to go like that. But the people making the decision about how much money to put in uh, every every uh, year to match it are politicians. And politicians have a very short term horizon. They're you know four years at a time or two years at a time, and. Uh, so their decision-making isn't very long-term. In fact, if they have their choice of building a bridge in a community or putting money in the pension plan, well, you get a lot more juice out of building that bridge in the community. Nobody really, you can't really uh, get people excited about, you know, we're keeping that pension plan solvent. like, woo, you know? <laughs> I was going to ask you, you uh, have been in charge of a pension plan before. For the state of Louisiana, what did you see kind of at your level when you were working with the pension plan? Was it sort of, we're investing in this, we're looking at that? Did, is this where you started to see sort of the, I guess you say, the, the issue that comes up with a pension plan down the road? Oh, that's right. I sat as a board director on all the, all the pension plans over here, and there was I think, uh, about $20 billion at that time. It's probably closer to uh, $200 billion now. And, um, and it's, so they're big, big pockets of money. And the first thing that comes in is a consultant comes out and they talk to you about your asset allocation. How much of that fund ought to be in stocks versus bonds versus real estate, uh, venture capital, private equity. And they also need to know how much money you need to that fund to spit out every year to pay the, pay the beneficiaries. One of the problems is these retirement systems are factoring in on average a seven and a half percent rate of return on their portfolios. And that is really, really ambitious. Uh, in fact, the, the university uses 5%, for instance. And so that is a little bit, um, that's a little spooky right there. And the other thing is these pension plans are, are underwater. And so what they tend to do is to ratchet up the risk. So instead of being 60% bonds, 40% stocks, now they're maybe 40% alternative assets. So they're they're in private equity and they're in venture capital and things like that. They've taken on more risk to try to get those returns ramped up and to get themselves out of the hole. But, you know, risk is risk. Yeah, With a pension plan, um, if someone has one, let's say, uh, you know, state, local, you know, you're, you're saying that they could be underwater. The pension plan at some point could be underwater. What can they do to sort of brace themselves for that? Or what should somebody be doing? Well, 
there's not much they really can do. Uh, side talk to their legislators and, and things like that and, and talk to the retirement systems. That is kind of funny because you can just call the retirement systems. They'll tell you how the money's invested and what percentage. It's a, you have, you're privy to all that, all that information. The big question becomes is it's state and local. Uh, it's um, let's say the local retirement systems, the, uh, the teacher's retirement system and the firefighters and all that. Are they in fact backed by the state? If, if they got into trouble, would the state step up in their treasury and take care of all that? And, you know, we really don't know. Uh, I will tell you that when bond rating analysts come in, one of the, remember every, uh, every municipal bond, corporate bond has a bond rating. In other words, they look at it and think, is this, is this group going to be able to make the payments when they need to be able to make them? And um, one of the issues there is, is a lot of states have a bond rating that is one or maybe two letters below where it's supposed to be because of the pension plan. And uh, that is, and so it, people are looking at this a lot, um, a lot closer. It's funny, and this is true in any state, is that there's, you know, there's different committees, you know, there's like ways and means and all that and education, but the pension plan is the least sexy plan to be on if you're a legislator. <laughs> in fact, if you're, I don't know, uh, if you're totally out of favor, like the Democrats are running uh, the governor and you're a Republican and they don't like you in addition to that, you will be on the pension plan. So when experts and uh, actuaries come up and talk to you uh, to testify, it, their eyes immediately glaze over and they, uh, they just can't help themselves. It just, it's, it's boring. not very exciting, <laughs> but it's so important. So, uh, um, and companies, I'm, uh, the other thing I should have mentioned is companies have really phased out their pension plans. If you work for a very old company, you might still have a pension plan in there, but companies have said, it is too big a risk for me. It is just too big that, um, I'm making the, all the investment decisions. And if it doesn't work out, it's against me. I'll have to come up with some way to pay for it. Whereas on a 401k, there are a lot of advantages. The, uh, the, uh, they're, they're transferable. You know, if you leave the job, you can transfer, you can roll it over into something else. Um, lots of advantages, but the onus of earning those investment returns is no longer on the, um, it's no longer on the company. On a, in a private company, that that four hundred one k in a private company means that now you're responsible for the returns. There's no coming back and saying, "Geez, I should have put more in bonds and less in stocks." It's like, you know, I'm sorry, that was your decision. Now you can change. By the way, you can change the asset allocation anytime you want. Uh, so a lot of times people will set a set of mutual funds, and as they age, will go in and maybe tweak it a little bit, maybe a little less in stocks and uh, more in other assets. But the funny part is when you go in day one, when you go into your new employer, you have to fill out all these forms. And one of the forms is this, how do you want the, the mutual funds invested, particularly if you're a young person and you look at it and you think I could care less. And then you, you know, and then, you know, there's a guy 95 years old that's coming out the door and you ask him, Hey, uh, what did you choose? And it's like uh, 5% stocks. All right, I'll do that. It was like, no, you can't do this. He's a complete, a completely different situation. And what the decisions you make there are so important. They're really going to determine how you live out your life after retirement. Mm -hmm. You know, are you going to be eating cat food under the overpass? That would be an extreme example. Or are you going to be living on some Caribbean island? No, but it's an important question. Um, 
two kind of a two-parter right here. You, when did companies start phasing out pension plans that were replacing them with 401ks? Uh, you know, what, what was the, was that compared with, you know, kind of paired up with a financial crisis of some sort, or is this just something that became more prudent over the last 10 years or so? Well, as soon as they were offered, as there, there was actually a congressional bill and the 401k was part of a much bigger bill that was going through. Some people say the 401k was created by accident. And, um, and so uh, that was 1978. So by the early 80s, all these companies had begun little by little to, uh, uh, to get out of, uh, out of these situations. Usually what they would do is freeze out the pension plan as it is now. So you're entitled to whatever you're entitled to. And all the new monies would go... Uh, in the form of a 401k plan. Now, one thing that there's a lot of things to think about, like for instance, sometimes companies, most of the time they'll just match you with cash and that's uh, then you make the decision where it goes. But some companies uh, will put all, or at least part of uh, the contribution from their side, in, uh, not by cash, but is company stock because it makes it a little easier for the company not to have to come up with that cash. But that brings up a whole other situation, which is all of a sudden your retirement plan has a, a ton, maybe a half of it uh, in company stock. Well, you are in so much jeopardy at this point because your, your wage, your job, your income is now tied to the same thing your retirement plan is tied to. And if you want to see how that, sometimes it's great, but sometimes it isn't great. Uh, if you think of Enron, that was why people walked away dead broke was all of a sudden their job was gone and the retirement system was, their retirement plan, their individual 401k had a ton of Enron stock in it. Oh. So uh, it's uh, kind of interesting. I, one of the things that happens with a 401k when the company puts in a lot of stock is, uh, and I always I get a kick out of this, if it works out, you know, we talked about Enron, that was the downside, but if it works out, the company uh, has people working there that are certainly at, uh, aligned to doing a good job because they're shareholders. That, that part all works. But if it does too well, you have an interesting situation. I remember, oh, it must have been 15 years, 20 years ago, uh, Home Depot was, was, um, was uh, recruiting on campus and look at the students trying to hire them. And so the recruiter said uh, to me, they, would you like to have lunch? And then not all of them take me to lunch. So I said, that'd be fun. So we went to lunch and he, he said, uh, uh, he, he says, do you know why I'm taking you to lunch? And I said, because you're growing so quickly and you need employees. He goes, yeah, that. And now all of our, all of our workers have built up and built up a lot of shares of Home Depot. And the stock has gone from like 10 to 200. And all of a sudden, those people have realized, you know, I don't like carrying nails down aisle four and I'm leaving. <laughs> so it's something. <laughs> so it's. So it's kind of a, a funny, uh, funny risk on their side as well. Another question that, you know, we were just kind of talking about. Um, so for my own sort of like knowledge, when I got my 401k and realized what it was going on, I'd been with the company I was with for five years. And I maybe had just for the sake of, you know, discussion, $17,000 maybe saved in this. And I remember looking at it, it said, T. Rowe Price, 60 year long term retirement plan. And it said next to it, low risk. Now, someone told me to go in there and change the allocations, but not only change the allocations, but take what was in there and move that out to begin to grow the process. And I moved it into, you know, separate mutual funds, a mid cap index fund. What do you suggest? I know you said, you know, subtract your age from 100 to find how much you should put into stocks. But what do you suggest in terms of moving it 
uh, from say a low risk, low return um, 60 year fund to something else that's might be a little bit more turbocharged. Yeah, I think it, you know if you don't take any risk at all, a very low risk, you're not gonna meet your goals. Uh, one of the big problems was after the 2008 crash, there were so many people that just said that, I'll never do this again. I'm gonna put all my money in a money market fund in my retirement system. And there was just no way they could meet, meet their goals. In fact, some companies um, actually came out and said, this isn't gonna work for you. And we're gonna take, we're gonna do part of the uh, asset allocation decision for you. Uh, and that was the, very interesting because that changed all the, all the rules, but they're, you know, you could say if, if you had too much in the market, well, maybe you don't meet your goals. But if you had too much in money market funds, you definitely weren't going to meet your goals. So this is kind of what uh, what happened. And by the way, in that 2008, 2009 time, kind of the end of the world, uh, a lot of companies that were matching uh, gave up the match. And so in, in essence there, you were putting in $1,000 a month and the company wasn't matching it. Well, it still had a lot of advantages because if you have a 401k, that money goes in there pre-tax. It comes right out of your check and you haven't been taxed on that money yet. So that is a huge advantage. So it's a lot more money than you would be able to put in, for instance, if you had a tax and then put those post-tax dollars in. It's pre-tax money. Um, and then you get taxed at the end when you go to take the money out. Uh, and that part, by the way, is you, know, you, have to uh, you can't take money out before 59 and a half uh, years of age. Uh, without a penalty. And by 70 and a half, you have to begin to take some sort of minimum, uh, minimum amount out. But when you go to take it out, you should be retired and you should be in a much lower tax bracket. So it came in pre-tax and when it goes out, it's going to come out at a, with you in a very low tax bracket. Now a Roth IRA, which was uh, created several years ago, uh, actually does the opposite. It's, it takes um, post-tax money and puts it in the fund. And when you go to take it out, it's not taxed at all. So that's um, really, you get two different, two different ways to go, uh, go on that. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how it breaks down. And with the 401k, um, you know, you have all these different things you can put it in. I guess, as you're looking at it, and you're, you're talking to people, what is the, the sort of the benefit of, um, as opposed to like a money market fund, is there a difference between a money market fund and a S&P um, index fund, like putting them in index funds? Or do you suggest just putting everything into, you know, 70% into stocks, say if I'm 30? Well, let's, let's take a look at, at the uh, index funds. Uh, one of the things that surprises people is index funds have outperformed um, the um, most money managers. In fact, 70% of all money managers over the last decade. Now, this, of course, is kind of disturbing because you have these professional money managers with all this fancy equipment and the brightest young minds and they can't do as well as something that can be done basically by apes and uh, <laughs> they are, are they, uh, and um, and so uh, this has always been kind of troubling the good thing about index funds by the way is we'll probably talk about another show is very 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 low fees so I think if you were to um, look at a portfolio the stock portion, what I would do is I wouldn't put it necessarily with active money managers. I would take a series of indexes. So in other words, the big index that you hear about all the time is the S&P 500 index, and that's got more money in it than, than anything. But that's just looking at the 500 largest companies. What I would look at is other index funds to add to it. So maybe you've got a mid-cap 
uh, index fund. That's looking at companies that are a little bit smaller and probably have a little more growth potential, but a little more volatility. And then I put some in a small cap index fund so that you're looking, those are the kind of the young growth companies uh, where the opportunity is. And over long periods of time, small caps uh, stocks have, uh, these smaller companies have outperformed uh, all the larger company indexes. So yeah, that's kind of what you get. And then a bond, you know, after you put a certain percentage in there, maybe that's a hundred, you know, minus your age, uh, you have to look for other pieces and you could look at things like a Ginny May fund. Uh, you could look at a bond fund. Uh, that's, um, you know, there's a, there's great options. One of the things about companies have decided over the years is when we first started the 401ks, companies said, you know, I love my employees and I'm going to give them 40 different options. And, and they found that that was, people just iced up. That was just, so now the average is about seven. Yes. That's, it gives you enough diversification. And the, the part I think that most people are under invested in is international. That mm -hmm. is just the truth. I mean, the about more than half of the stocks in the, in the world market are outside of the U.S. And the average person has 5 to 10% of their money uh, in, in international stocks. So it is a little bit crazy. Um, and I know why it is. We've always been a kind of a parochial country. We've got, you know, an ocean on one side, ocean on the other, Canada and Mexico. But the, the rest of the world, you're seeing much higher growth in those emerging nations. So I think that's, in terms of your stock allocation, it'd be kind of crazy not to have some in there. Yeah. So it sounds like what you, I mean, just from talking to you about this, you, you start out, you fill out the one, it's the long-term, it's the one that the HR person doesn't care that you filled right. out and you have to go in and manually change everything. Um, unless you had the wherewithal right on the hiring. I will say this for me, I went from, you know, let's say it was 17 within a year of doing this, it went up to like 35 from 35 to 80. It just kept going because you don't really realize how slow you're moving when you're not, doing anything other than taking what they're offering to you, the 60 year time horizon plan. Right. Which that's by the way, the, I don't know that I'll be alive in 60 years to even see it. So I'm not oh, sure. No, I, I see if you do sit-ups and eat well, I see good things for you. There's, uh, <laughs> and of course the assumption that, you know, one of the things about all this is the fact um, that people are living longer. That's one mm -hmm. thing that's killed the pension funds is, you know, uh, people, you know, adding another 10 years on that you have to keep mailing out checks every month really does a number on that. And uh, with the 401ks, I think people need to predict that they're going to be around longer and going to need a source of income longer. So yeah, we uh, see that, but uh, really people, so many people, when I think of what would happen if, if I just got a check in the mail for $10,000, I don't know, some uh, aunt died or something like that. What would I do with it? Well, the first thing I would do is I'd pay off all my credit card debt that kind of high yield debt. You're not going to make 20% annually in the market year after year. If you can pay that debt off, that's the fat, smartest thing you can do. And then the second is check out um, the 401k plan at work. And if you're not participating, do participate. That match is just mana from heaven. Yeah. It's interesting once it goes away, how it looks, but I, I still stay in it. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was kind of the basic premise that I had to, I've been talking to like coworkers about it. So like, well, we have that 401k. What does it do? What's happening? And I was like, well, you're entering your thirties. It's time to get a better understanding of what you're Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. That's uh, going to be, a, you know, it's funny. I always tell the students that um, how you end up at the end is much more a function of what you did with your money than how much you're earning. And, uh, and, you know, when you're 22, that seems like an absolute crazy thing. The professor just said, but it's true. And one of the other advantages of a 401k, just its structure, 
is that you're putting in money every month and you're investing every month and you're getting what's called dollar cost averaging, which means that you are continually buying those mutual funds at different prices up and down all along. And so you're not making a commitment to buy at a certain price and eventually it'll all average out and hopefully it'll, it'll begin to go up, but it makes investing a lot easier and a lot saner. So it's a very good uh, characteristic of a 401k. It was kind of a slow week. There's a lot going on with the weather. Did you see anything happening in the markets that was interesting or of note this week? Oh, there are a couple of things that were pretty wild. Like the price of natural gas went from $4 a thousand cubic feet to $1,200 a thousand cubic feet. So if we, uh, and you can buy and sell natural (laughs) gas. So if GameStop wasn't uh, gamifying the system that uh, is, you know, this was another great, great uh, situation. Price of oil went up a little bit on that. Um, but one of the things that we're really seeing in here is, uh, first of all, that people really now believe, analysts, portfolio managers, that the second half of the year is going to be great and that the uh, 2022 should be a, an even better year because when you think about it, 2021 is going to have two eh, kind of quarters, the first and second quarter, and then the third and fourth should really start ramping up. And 22 should be better because you've got possibly four really good quarters. The other thing that's happening and some people are watching it and some people aren't, is that interest rates have really been creeping up. Like in the first of the year, you had um, the 10-year treasury note. If you invested in that, you would make 1%. And now, and it's only six, seven weeks since then, you're now making 1.35%. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but first of all, first of all it is a 35% increase in interest rates. And when you have higher interest rates, it's not good for stocks. If this were to keep going, it would sort of put a lid on things. And so the reason is, is that let's, let's say interest rates go up. Well, in the easiest sense, what you'd be looking at is people that had stocks, if bonds start producing a high, higher rate of return, some of those people will get out of stocks and go into bonds to chase those, those yields. So that'll push stocks down. And the other is all the things we do in class, all these models, these discounted cash flows, all of, all of those sophisticated models. One of the components and probably the most component is what could you get on your money somewhere else? And interest rates are the big factors. So the higher interest rates go, the tougher and tougher it gets for the stock market. And the reason interest rates are going up is that people are starting to sniff inflation. They're starting to see, mm-hmm. really think that's out there now. And, uh, and you know, we haven't seen, I got in this business 40 years ago and that's when treasury, uh, treasury notes were yielding 18% mortgages were 20%. And so, uh, and they've gone straight down for the next 39 years. Uh, but I still believe that I'm suffering from PTSD for those, those higher interest rates as a, as a young man. So it's, <laughs> I think my parents told me they bought their first house in the 80s and the interest rate the bank was going to give them was 17%. So they took a discount from my grandfather for 13%. And meanwhile, my brother, you know, 10, 15 years ago, buys a house with a 2% or 1% interest rate. It's insane. It's insane. Of course, what, what motivates uh, buyers in houses, it's not, they, they don't really look at the price of the house. They look at the note, mm-hmm. the monthly note, and that's, that's what affects it in here. And so that's another thing. If interest rates went significantly higher, you'd start to put a chokehold on, on housing uh, starts, yeah. for instance, things like that. And um so, uh, and that would, it would, what it would also do is would uh, you hear about housing affordability being very, uh, very low now. Not a lot of people can afford to buy a house. If you had higher interest rates, fewer 
could buy a uh, buy a home. So um, with the, the cross you're getting in the stock market right now is earnings are coming in and they look good. They really do look good. They're almost all in for the um, fourth quarter now. And the, that would be perfect if you didn't start to see interest rates start to start to increase. So it's, it's going to be quite a um, quite a trade-off in here going forward, but the market just keeps going. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, by now, you would expect some sort of contraction. If you look at where we were at the end of March, mm-hmm. where everybody was petrified to where we are now, and, and this is why it was so difficult, for instance, at the end of March to convince people to either stay the course or maybe sell a little bit off, is um, those times when everybody wants out is the time you should be in. Yeah. And uh, that is the toughest part. It's very tough to go to parties and tell people like at the end of March, I'm really thinking of buying more stocks. I mean, before you know it, you know, they're, first of all, you're alone. That's the other thing is no one, just people are kind of, it's like creepy guy near, near <laughs> yes. you know, and so it's, uh, um, but that's, it's, it's to swim upstream is just so difficult. And it's the only way people have made money over time. So just like in that GameStop example, you know, by the time it had already soared, into the 400s or whatever it was in there, um, everybody was in. You know, yeah. the only way to make any money is when there's some room to grow uh, to grow from there. And that's one thing that scares people about today's stock market is that everybody is so optimistic. You're going to need people that are more optimistic to drive the prices higher. And you know, where are they going to come from? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what uh, what scares people in here. And one of the things that's going to happen in your 401k too, you're going to have stocks in there market's going to crash. You're going to get out if you don't, you know, if you're kind of a novice and, uh, and then you're going to be, then, then we, you know, the rest of it is totally predictable. You put your money all in bonds or all in money market funds. Then the market starts to go up and you're sorry you did it, but then you refuse to go back in because you'd have to buy it back for a price higher than you sold it for. And you hear people say, if it gets back to where I sold it from, I'll get back in as if the market cared at what price you sold it. It's like, this is totally in your little head. That yes. doesn't make sense. Well, that's all we got time for this week, Peter. And I think uh, we'll come up with a name at some point. Keep trying. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Great. Thanks. I'm enjoying this. Sounds good. Talk to you then, Peter. <laughs>